What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm sharing an episode that I recorded around reverse dieting and a lot of misconceptions associated with reverse dieting with my friends Brian Borstein and Aaron Straker on their podcast, Eat, Train, Prosper. I really thought this was an important episode to share because reverse dieting is something that, especially as of late, is being talked about more and more as far as the different approaches we use to reverse dieting. Is this or isn't this evidence-based? Um, now, a form of reverse dieting is something that we use very consistently within our clients. But again, it's not. There are a lot of misconceptions out there as far as reverse dieting. The actual applications of it um, and when we should and shouldn't use a reverse diet alongside how to go about implementing one. So all of those are really topics that we cover in today's roundtable. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into the episode. Welcome to the Eat, Train, Prosper podcast where we provide you sustainable training principles for strength and building muscle, effective nutrition practices for improving and maintaining a lean physique, and practical lifestyle habits for becoming a champion of your own health, both inside and out. Hosted by Aaron Straker and Brian Borstein. What's up, guys? Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to another episode of Eat, Train, Prosper. Today, we have our good friend and fellow coach, on the podcast by the name of Jeremiah Bear, and we are going to have a roundtable on reverse dieting. So kind of recently, there was an episode of the Stronger by Science podcast that came out. This specific episode was is titled Stretch Mediated Hypertrophy and Reverse Dieting. And in this episode, Eric Trexler and Greg Knuckles cover uh, what the current body of research says about reverse dieting. After it was released, Brian and I have received some, some messages from people who were just kind of confused by certain things and reached out to us. And we decided we would do an episode about it. And I thought, who better to invite on to this podcast than our good friend, Jeremiah, who I know works with a large population of people who are probably pretty um, interested in some of the discourse around this. So I thought it would be a fantastic opportunity to bring him onto the podcast. So Jeremiah, thank you for joining us. And can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I am so stoked to be here. I know I've had both of you on the podcast numerous times, kind of a Brian Borstein and of course, Aaron Straker fangirl. So it is super cool to be here. But yeah, as you said, my name is Jeremiah Bear. Um, I have been a coach for nearly nine years. Um, I'm part of a coaching team. There are four of us. And as you said, we work with primarily, I don't think you said this actually, but we work with primarily women really just interested in physique development as a whole. So not just like I want to like lose 30 pounds or whatever it is. But again, I want to learn, like, I want to better understand hypertrophy. I want to learn how to really fuel my body. I want to learn how to build muscle. But yeah, that is essentially me in a nutshell. Awesome. Awesome. So before we'll jump into the topic for today in traditional or typical, I should say, eat, train, proper, prosper fashion, Brian, can you kick us off with some updates, please? Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. I'm uh, I'm honored to be here with you, fine gentlemen. Um, I'm also really happy because today is the first day that I finally don't feel deathly sick since Thursday of last week, and this is now Tuesday. So um, I got hit with some shit that I wish upon nobody, and uh, I don't get sick like this too often. But um, essentially, I had a fever, body aches, and chills for Thursday and Friday, and no throat pain at all. But 
lovely me woke up Saturday morning and my fever was gone and suddenly had this like incredibly aching throat and I couldn't actually eat food. So for two days, I couldn't eat food because I had a fever. And then for the last three days, I haven't been able to eat food because my throat won't let me actually swallow things. Um, and today I'm, I'm, I'm more or less, I, I can't say I'm back to normal. Uh, food still hurts, but I can actually eat food. Uh, the other odd thing about this is that there's been like no other symptoms uh, the last three days other than a sore throat. So I've been like working out and going about life, you know, as if everything's cool. Um, and I have this like dagger sore throat just going on in the background. So um, like I said, today I finally feel better. But uh, one interesting thing I found throughout all of this is that despite five days of eating like 50% of my total calorie allotment and probably 60% of my total protein. Um, like I've been averaging, I would say six, 70 to a hundred grams of protein a day and maybe like 800 calories a day, something like that. Um, I workouts have been fine. I've actually exceeded or matched performance on every single thing that I've done over the last three days. And, uh, I've had a couple people contact me too, through, uh, through DM and, and internet and stuff and say that they routinely do like three day, fasts uh they're into like autophagy and, and stuff like that longevity uh different population than hypertrophy people but um but they routinely do these like three-day fasts and they work out as intensely as they usually would through them and also notice no decrement in performance so um i just thought that was really interesting and kind of surprising because usual the usual path post sickness for me is oh man i feel so weak and it takes like three or four days of feeling weak to kind of it's almost like a deload workout as you ramp up effort levels again. Um, but this time it's like the fever, uh, diminished and I was right back at it, you know, setting PRs in the gym. So just kind of a weird sickness all around for me. And, um, and yeah, so, uh, one more update from me is that I had my, uh, six week PRP update, um, after we recorded last week's episode on biomechanics and I was uh, a little bit hesitant. I had some apprehension going into that appointment about what would be the, the result. But as it turns out, uh, he said everything's on track. Looks like there's no uh, damage or inflammation that seems to be uh, showing through, which I thought may be the case after I went on that hike on day four, which was not advised. And then um, it uh, it seems like I have like this weird, very dull pain along the medial side of my knee. And I just thought that was the meniscus that, that is, you know, been torn since 2016. The doctor thinks that it's actually just tightness through my penanserine bursa and talk about an area that I'd never actually heard before. The penanserine bursa is, uh, is an area there at the bottom of the adductor. So, um, so the doctor thinks that it's either a tightness through the penanserine bursa or the adductor itself. And so I feel like I have a potential route to take to alleviate some of this like super low grade dull pain um, at the bottom of the squat only. Like that's the only time I actually feel it. But um, now I have a potential route forward. So um, all things are good. PRP apparently worked. Knee feels strong and uh, and I'm not sick anymore. So so all is good. We have this awesome reverse dieting chat to have and uh, I'll kick it over to uh, Straker for some updates. Yeah, that the I'd never heard of the per 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 nurser. What is it again? <laughs> Penanserine bursa. <laughs> Penanserine bursa. But when when you did say that, it did remind me. I did pull my adductor um, the other day doing ab wheels. Mm. <laughs> so, so that sucked. Um, <laughs> but then you know, really, 
strangely enough, it was still a little bit like, it was just kind of like tight going into uh, training quads yesterday. And I had like, you know, the leg press, like deep leg press. And I was like kind of nervous. Like, do I push it and risk like, you know, really it making it worse? Or do I like, you know, take a step back? And in traditional Aaron fashion, I'm like, I'm just going to fucking push it and see what happens. And then lo and behold, it feels perfectly fine now <laughs> after that yesterday, which is like complete opposite of what would normally happen. But I had completely forgot about it until you brought that up. Uh, so besides that, I don't have too much going on, but I am in a, I mean, I'm in another one of my no caffeine cycles. Um, my coffee habit had kind of got to the point where uh, my sleep was just affected. And that's how I'll find out like that it's time to pull back. I'll be kind of tired throughout the day or I'll like have like a cup of coffee and I'm still like yawning afterwards. And then for me, it's like, it's nine 30, it's 10, it's 10 30. And I'm just like, not ready to go to sleep. I'm like, and then I'm just sleeping poorly and I'm like, fuck, I have to do, I have to kind of detox off of caffeine. So uh, what I did, just got some decaf and of, of course decaf has like a small amount of caffeine, but that's what I'm doing and still enjoying my coffee flavor for the most part, but have been doing that. And I have been feeling it dragging ass, like mid afternoon, just low energy, uh, and something like Jenny, we'll go to the gym at the same time. Cause it's like a, a good drive. And sometimes I have to take like a small, like 10 minute nap in the car ride to the gym. I'm like, and I'm like, I'm going into this like lower body session and I am dragging ass. And I was like, should I even be here? But something that's really funny is like, I get, I get, I warm up, I get into like my feeder sets and like, bam, like that, that adrenaline hits that cortisol starts pumping. And I have amazing training sessions and I have like great days in the gym and then I'm good afterwards. It's just like, so it's, the whole point I brought us up is it's really kind of cool to see and, and experience like your nervous system, like doing its thing where you're like dragging ass and then you turn it on and you're good to go. So that's been, that's been interesting to see. Uh, although I am excited for one to, to continue uh, working through this, like no caffeine period. And then once that's over to get back on the sauce so I can get back to feeling a hundred percent and being the best version of myself. But that's about it from the updates for me, Jeremiah, what's going on in your world? Yeah. Um, first on the caffeine note, have either of you guys ever heard of the supplement ruticarpine? I believe is how you say it. Basically it helps your body metabolize caffeine faster. I, now I don't like, I'm almost kind of hesitant to put this out there because I have not like dug into like, is this something that's okay to use consistently? But it is something that I've used recently and it is kind of crazy. Now I'm kind of, I kind of just use this. Like, I think I would be probably much better off doing what you're doing, Aaron, and just like going with decaf coffee for a week. But I honestly don't want to do that to myself. It is really crazy to me to see like how much of a difference that makes in sleep quality where I think normally my caffeine intake is probably like 400 to 500 milligrams per day. And it has been like since I've started taking that. Now, again, I think it's kind of like an easy out. And again, I can't say I'm like recommending this, but I think it would, I like Straker, I, Brian, both of you guys would be interested to like hear your input if you dug into it a bit further, because it is something that I've been using as of late and it is pretty cool to see what a difference it makes. But, um, and I can link that up to you guys after the show as well. But yeah, oh man, this last week for me has been an insane week, honestly. So like we were talking about off air. Um, just finish a photo shoot prep. So my photo shoot was Tuesday. So a week from a week ago today, um, Thursday proposed to my girlfriend, which was now my fiance, which was 
very nerve wracking. Um, I procrastinated that for so long just because I wanted to make sure everything, um, went extremely well, but I'm really happy with how that worked out. And then Friday we left for Hawaii and we are now in Hawaii. So it has been a crazy week, but yeah. Um, man, getting ready for the shoot was a super cool experience. Again, like we were talking about off air, I got down to at my lowest, I got down to 177, which was pretty crazy. And I was been working with Brandon DeCruz. I know you guys are both familiar. I think a good friend of everyone here. Super cool to just learn from him. I, I really love just like working with different coaches and like seeing how everyone does things and just being able to like take what I can and like become a better coach myself from it. But it was really cool to go through that experience with Brandon. And um, man, we got, again, it was crazy to me just to get down to like 177. As I was talking about off air, like my freshman year of college, when I got into training hard, I remember like being like 175 to 177. Now, granted, I think it's very important to not just, I think for men specifically, we can only look at like the weight on the scale. And it's like, fuck, I'm just, I'm as small as I was like my freshman year of college. And I've been, that was like 10 years ago. Like what have I been doing for the last 10 years? But of course, like physique looks a lot different now versus then, but it's honestly still kind of a hard pill to swallow. And I know like for me, like there was a long period of time where I never thought I was going to get down to 200, let alone like, especially in like the, the previous time I'd gotten. So the leanest I'd been before this, the first photo shoot I ever did, I got down to 180 the morning of the shoot. That was the previous low I'd seen. But um, honestly, it was a really cool experience for me specifically. It was interesting to see like, Brian, I know you've talked a lot about holding a lot of body fat on your lower body specifically, like hamstrings never really come out for you. Is that right? Yeah. Hamstrings and like uh, lower glutes primarily. Okay. okay. And I didn't get to the point where like, I would be interested to see how far I would have to take it to get to the point where I had like glute striations. I wasn't there, but for me, it was super interesting because I have always thought, I mean, I've always known that similar to you, like I hold a decent bit more fat in my lower body. And like, no matter what, I'll always have like my, t- I can get up to like two thirty, and I'll still be able to see my top couple abs. So I think I think that's partially to my detriment because I can take a, I can take a building phase pretty far and put on a lot of, a lot of fat. And it's like, Oh, well, I still have abs, right? I can still see a couple abs. So I'm good. And then I have to cut so far down because of that. But it was cool for me to see. Um, I had always thought that quads and just lower body as a whole were a massive weakness, but really still it was just like my body fat storage. And I don't know why I didn't put this together before, but it was really cool to see like, as I got to a new level of lean, I'd never been before, like how much more my quads came through specifically. So that, that was a really cool thing. But again, um, <laughs> been a crazy last couple of weeks here, but she went super well. And yeah, that's more or less what I have been up to. Sweet. I want to dig in with a couple of questions on this. So um, with Brandon DeCruz, I know he specializes usually on nutrition. Were you handling your own training or was he doing that as well? No, I had Brandon run my training as well. And Brandon is someone that's very knowledgeable with training. I would say it's very similar to like a program that I think any of us would put together. I've really loved having that aspect as well. Um, That was for me. I was thinking I was going to self-coach or just like Aaron, I know we talked about like having you run my nutrition to get lean, but then I was putting together my training program and I spent right trying to write my first program. I remember I was sitting there. I literally spent 30 minutes trying to think about which division of the lat do I want to prioritize here with this movement. I was like, all right, I just got to outsource this. Like I am overthinking this so much. I just have to outsource it. So yeah, we followed, uh, 
uh, descending RIR across weeks. So we'll start at three RIR. So somewhat similar to like an RP style RIR progression, except once we get to like that zero to one RIR week, then from there, rather than it being like a, okay, we're automatically going to deload. Then it's just, let's look at biofeedback and we'll stay in that zero RIR week for like multiple weeks until it seems like we actually need to deload. And I, I do like that approach to it quite a bit better than it just being like, okay, here's the zero RIR week. And now we automatically have to deload. And of course there's not like yeah. the fixed volume increases every week or anything of that nature. Yeah. I, I relate to that too. I, uh, I do it similarly, but I tend to take those short overload movements. Once we get to zero IR, I'll, I'll then take them into like partials and reverse drop sets and lengthen sets and kind of continue the progression beyond zero RIR for mm-hmm. movements that are less fatiguing. Um, but I think like to your point about, you know, being able to do multiple weeks at zero RIR in a row, I think that that's something that comes through more diligent exercise selection and execution. Cause if you're that person that's just doing back squats and deadlifts and, you know, big barbell basics, by the time you hit zero RIR, your ass needs a deload. But if you're doing like lat pull downs and dual cable lateral raises and stuff like that, like you're not going to need a deload each time you hit zero RIR in one of these movements. So um, I think that that is, one of those variables that I think often gets under discussed in these types of situations. Yeah. And then, I mean, even like, as we got deeper into the prep, part of what we did is like after that zero RR week, like I was starting to feel some fatigue, but it didn't seem quite like I needed a deload yet. So then we took like some of the more fatiguing movements. Okay. We're going to keep these around one to two RIR going to keep like your smaller isolation S cliffs at zero RIR. And I thought I really like that approach as well, where again, it like, I don't feel like I quite need this deload yet, but yeah. Cool. I dig that. Aaron, any questions to dig into on any of that? Um, I did have one and now I can't remember. Um, but no, I think what, what you brought up, Brian, was really, really great because I, I agree with Jeremiah in that personally, I will run multiple, you know, weeks at zero RIR for certain movements is the like huge asterisk there. You can't, or I shouldn't say you can't, you probably shouldn't run multiple weeks of a zero RIR on like deadlift or what I found out the hard way, like a stiff legged deadlift, like last year, (laughs) Um, but like rows, pull downs, bicep curls, triceps, delts, like you can probably run multiple weeks at zero RIR, especially if you're still progressing, Um, you know, smaller movements, shortened overload movements are fine. Pretty much glutes, hams, quads you may not want to do that there. Yeah. Or leg extensions and leg curls you do, but the squat patterns and the hinge patterns yeah. you don't. Um, yeah, totally. So Jeremiah, you are this super lean shredded version of yourself and you're 177 pounds. So what's the deal, man? Are we going to reverse diet or what are we going to do from here? So actually the approach, and I think this is an interesting way to start this conversation around reverse dieting. I know right now um, I'll be interested to see what this looks like after this. And from my conversations with Brandon in the past, I think he takes a pretty similar approach where I'm guessing in the future we'll probably be jumping right around maintenance. But actually um, with me like proposing and then going to Hawaii, the approach we took is immediately after the shoot was over. Okay. You have an extra thousand to 1250 calories to work with. Um, and there I have a lot more, for the most part, I follow like a 
flexible meal plan, so to speak, where if I want to go off and like play macro tetris a bit more, I can. But like as of yeah. these two weeks, like post shoot to the Wednesday after I get back is literally just we have an extra thousand to twelve hundred fifty calories added to your targets. And part of that, too, is like we want me to gain back a bit of body fat. Like I have no illusion of trying to stay this lean. I know Brandon doesn't want that either. But yeah, um, as of now, no, we have definitely not taken like a slow reverse dieting approach. I'll also say like with us being in Hawaii, like how well I would have stuck to like a hundred, ca- hundred calories from where I was previously. Um, I probably wouldn't have followed through with that very well. But as of now, I honest now I don't want to like put words in Brandon's mouth, but as of now, I know we're at very least at maintenance. We're probably in a very slight surplus. Um, and I'm assuming after this two week stretches up, it sounds like we're just going to aim to be right around maintenance. Yeah. So I feel like this brings an interesting question because when you're down at 177 pounds, how much more really up is maintenance? And what I, what I mean by that is like, you've probably been butting up against a wall for the last few weeks where you've had to lower calories and lower calories or increase movement just to get the scale to move a half pound or a pound or something like that. Right. Is that accurate? Yeah. And you lost you there for a second, but I, I think you said it's probably been kind of a grind for me to continue to lose. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, for me, it hasn't been too bad. Our targets have been pretty consistent for and what I found for myself is and I think this kind of goes I I wanted to get you guys take on this as well, because I know there's kind of when we're talking about metabolisms, you hear about like we have these metabolic phenotypes, which is like the spendthrift versus the thrifty metabolism. But if I understand that correctly, which like the spendthrift. I always get these two confused, but I believe I believe like the thrifty this thrifty metabolism phenotype is supposedly like we store calories easily as fat, but our body also doesn't want to let us lose fat easily, right? Where it seems like there are these people who gain fat easily, but they have a hard time losing fat. And on the other end, the spendthrift, um, they have quite a quite a bit easier time losing body fat, but also they ramp up movement quite a bit. But that's not, I would say in like an anecdote. That doesn't seem to be what I've seen where, at least to my understanding, I think that's kind of counter to the idea of like we have more adaptive metabolisms where some people really ramp up meat quite a bit. So thus we see these individuals who we, where we can ramp their calorie intake way up because they tend to do more pacing, fidgeting, blinking as they eat more. But then when we take calories down, um, they also see a large down regulation meat and thus they really kind of struggle to lose or we have to get a lot more aggressive to lose. Whereas other individuals and like for me, it's very easy for me to gain weight. Like I can very easily get up to 230, 240. But also what I've seen is for myself, I typically don't have to push that hard or make that many adjustments for me to lose. So I think like throughout this entire process, I think we we had my starting macros, which given my starting intake was pretty aggressive. I believe my rest days, which were only two days a week, I was right around 1800 calories and my training days, I was around 2,300 calories. So, I mean, still, that's relatively aggressive. But I think that's – and that was my ending. I believe we cut like 150 calories off of both those targets once. And that was what, like six weeks ago, actually, I think. So, since mm-hmm. then, we haven't made any adjustments. And, I mean, my steps have been at 14.5K this entire process as well. So, my movement has been very high. But, actually, it hasn't really been much of a grind at all. 
Um, I will say also, I think it's been a lot easier because part of that is I've had so much structure with my day to day intake. Like I haven't played macro Tetris at all. I have been essentially just following a meal plan. I haven't been working at meals out or anything of that nature, which I think people underestimate, especially when it gets to a grindy part of the diet. And it's like, man, I would really love to like go have some Chick-fil-A, right? So I'm going to work this in or things of that nature. I think people do underestimate how much of a difference that makes as well. But actually for me, no, it hasn't been really that much of a grind at all to get down to this last bit. I've of course been hungry. But. Yeah, yeah. So where I was going with that in trying to kind of get the reverse dieting conversation going here is like if you're having say so your numbers were like twenty three hundred and eighteen hundred on the the five days at twenty three hundred and and two days at eighteen hundred something like that. So so at that point you're still losing weight on those numbers. But when you're at one hundred seventy seven pounds right now, like what is what do you think your actual maintenance is a number where you wouldn't actually gain weight? You wouldn't go to one seventy eight, then one seventy nine, then one eighty. Like you would actually be able to maintain one seventy seven because I think this is a distinction in reverse dieting that that needs clarification. Um, do you do you want to expand on that, Straker, and kind of maybe clarify what I'm trying to say for people? <laughs> I will, I will. And I'm really, really glad you brought that up because what we have here, so Jeremiah, a couple things you've t- thrown out, like where would you say is like what you define as healthy? And I'll grant it for the listeners out there, just a reiteration, like Jeremiah is a coach in the space, like he lives this lifestyle. I think for people like that, it is much more realistic to live a leaner lifestyle when you are in the space because your world revolves around training and nutrition. So that's a caveat there. What would you say, like, let's use a couple examples. What would you estimate your body fat percentage to be at, at that 177? I would say probably right around 8%. Very lean. Yeah. I I was going to say like seven to eight based off of like the few pictures that I saw. What do you think is then like really good. Another question. Where were, where were you at? When you started the diet, approximately body, body weight. So I was right around 199 when I started the diet. And what approximate body weight did you think, or body fat percentage would you say you were at there? Mm, Probably like 13 to 14. And do you feel that that 13 to 14 was very manageable if you were like, Hey, I just want to stay here forever or for two years. Oh yeah. I feel like, I feel like that was very easy. I think for me anywhere I would say probably right around 190 to 195 would be, I really feel when I'm around that like 11 to 12% mark, once I dip below that, and I'm interested to see, I do think this is something we can somewhat change over time. But I know like after my first photo shoot prep, I did try to just stay as lean as I was. And it was a year of basically, I just felt terrible. And I could tell on like my energy levels, my training performance, my ability to build muscle, my libido, like all these, all my biofeedback, you could really tell, like I was trying to stay too lean. So, and I definitely think I'm below that point now as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those are really, really great numbers to help frame up this conversation because it depends of where you're starting a diet at. Right. And and these are things that I don't think that the, the stronger by science episode did really well was, was give like realistic versus not realistic body fat levels. And obviously that's going to change for everyone, but for a majority of people, unless your sport or activity is like very, very, very high, maintaining a seven per seven or eight, you're at a point where you have biofeedback implications, 
probably down-regulated like endocrine activity, those sorts of things that will impact your life that at like 11 to 12%, let's say 12, which is a little bit like, you know, softer, you probably circumvent and you've put on going from 7% to 12%. That's 5% body fat right there. You've probably circumvented a large majority of that. So that's where like the, the context and the nuance is really, really beneficial in that if let's say, let's say you were starting your diet, let's say you're 240 pound Jeremiah and you wanted to get down to 200 pound Jeremiah, right? You could probably maintain that 200 pounds and like, you know, um, reverse some of, some of the maybe food or whatever, but you probably wouldn't necessarily have the negative biofeedback implications at 200 pounds that you have at 177 pounds. What are your thoughts there? Oh, absolutely. And that's, as you said, I mean, a lot of what we'll see within where our hormones are at, for example, is going to be tied to the actual amount of fat that we have on our body. So for example, like for a female client, we can, let's say post diet, let's say we get this female client shredded, but past a certain point, like your body is going to sense, okay, we are so lean. We have so little fat on our frame or basically think of fat as like energy stores that if you were to, for example, get pregnant right now, we wouldn't have the calories coming in. We wouldn't have the energy available to actually support like a healthy pregnancy and to support like growing another human. So because of that, we'll see like these shifts in sex hormones, for example, and that client might lose her menstrual cycle. So within that, like no matter like, so if she's absolutely shredded, no matter if we just like took this slow reverse dieting process and let's say like reverse dieting did magically work. Let's say she, we got her eating 2,200 calories or 2,500 calories. Let's just throw a super high number out there. But this client was still absolutely shredded. Let's say she was below her essential levels of body fat. So she was eight, 9% body fat as a woman, which is going to be extremely lean, no matter what, like until she regains some body fat, we're probably still not going to see the restoration of her menstrual cycle. We're probably still going to have terrible biofeedback again, libido, energy levels, all things of that nature are going to be not in a far from optimal situation. So because of that, like body fat, I think that is a very important caveat where it's like, what's the goal after this, right? If all you care about is staying shredded, still, there's probably going to be some, some negative health implications. But even then for most people, like after a fat loss phase, they do want to get back to, okay, I want to improve my physique for next time I get lean. Right. So even then, like, even if we could like just And some, I mean, to an extent, maybe some people can do this, but even if we could just like ramp calories up, if you get lean enough, we are just going to have to be okay with to get back to productive building, to feel your best again for like things like having a normal menstrual cycle. We are just going to have to gain back some body fat. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Brian. Jeremiah, what do you think your maintenance calories were at that weight that you feel like you can sustain 195, 199 pounds, something like that? I would say probably somewhere around, this is a rough guesstimate, but probably right around 33 to 3,400. And right now you're at 177 pounds and we're not sure if this 2,100 average that you're eating would continue to help you lose weight or if it might just become your new maintenance at this point. Yeah, I think I could lose a good bit more before it became my new maintenance, but yeah. Yeah. So my point really is just that people talk all the time about, you know, if we're going to reverse diet, so we got to get your calories back to maintenance. But 
maintenance like is it maintenance of your current body weight or is it maintenance of like where you're trying to go because those two numbers are very different and so i think this kind of gets to the root of one of the things that needs to be clarified about reverse dieting so like what do you guys view and operate with your clients when you get to the end of a diet are you thinking hey they have a new maintenance now because their their body is smaller so i can like slowly work up from this new maintenance or do you think like hey i need to get them back to what their old maintenance was because uh we need to get them out of you know these these poor uh hormone responses that that we're seeing do you want yeah, to take so, this one first? Take it away. All right. So uh, the the first two things, again, that it's important to come up with is, and I would say in my, you know, um, not opinion, but in what I generally see with my coaching business, it's often clients will come to you say like, okay, these are my maintenance calories. They're wildly inaccurate, right? You'll have like, I, I had a, I literally had a guy come to me. He's like six foot three, 215 pounds, told me his maintenance calories are like 2,400 calories. I'm like, okay, let's, let's start here. <laughs> um, so like once, fortunately, like once you've been around long enough, you know, coached enough people and have had enough like avatars, you know, cause like, let's say I've coached like three guys who are like Jeremiah's kind of size sort of thing. So like, when I, once you have a, a handful of those, you can be like, okay, with this person, we did these sorts of things. They were similar body size, you know, ballpark type stuff. But it, it, with the reverse, it really depends. Like, did they get lean enough to where they're actually going to have endocrine disruption and poor biofeedback? Like if you're taking someone from a male, let's use male numbers here, 30% body fat to a 20% body fat, like if anything, their endocrine production is going to be better because we're just in a healthier state. And that's where it's really important to bring in like specific, not necessarily specific body fat percentages, but like what type of lean are we talking about? Right. Because lean is a subjective term, right? If you, if you look at the traditional, like, um, if you go into like a gold's gym and, and look at their, uh, what the fuck is it called? The body impedance analysis thing. It'll tell you that like 20, 20 to like 24% body fat's like normal and healthy. Whereas like to us four, I'm like, dude, if I'm 24% body fat, like I'm fucking doing something wrong for months and months and months. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's where I kind of get frustrated with some of these conversations is like without providing more objective definitions around things or you're leaving it up for interpretation and then like episodes like this need to happen. Right. So I think it really comes back to like, where are you starting from? Are you getting, mm -hmm. are you just going from like, Hey, I've been kind of overweight, neglecting my, you know, health. I just want to get back down to like 16 to 20% body fat, you know, where I don't have a gut anymore. You don't really need a reverse diet there, you know, because it's, there's no adaptations or, or sorry, you could potentially use one there just to keep the client operating within a little bit more closer bounds so that they don't just poorly track their food and start putting fat back on. Because again, a lot of it's going to be like habit-based and reframing how they view food. And when a client comes to you at 30% body fat, Obviously, their habits and how they view food isn't really um, like well managed. So by just opening the floodgates with someone like that, you're probably going to put a 
appreciable weight back on that isn't essential by any means. Whereas in the terms of like Jeremiah, he needs to put, well, I did use the term essential improperly there, but you get what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. Body fat that is going to help him live a more normal and less, you know, very, very acutely managed life. Yeah, I feel like if he were to just jump his calories back up to that, like, assumed 3,300 maintenance number instead of, like, a current maintenance number, I almost wonder if that is even, like, the same type of reverse dieting that that this whole conversation is centered around because to me it just seems like you're you're mitigating the issue you're putting the fire out and then you you have this 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 new number where where the point is to gain weight like you understand that gaining weight is happening so i think that the application of reverse dieting i think that is mostly being talked about as like the thing that you shouldn't do or that isn't supported by science is this idea of 177 pound jeremiah starting at 2,100 calories or 2,200 or whatever that presumed maintenance is down there, and then slowly adding 25 calories a day or whatever the number is until he's worked his calories back up to that 3,300 number, as opposed to just jumping there and then getting that, that fire put out. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, when we're talking about maintenance, I think that there we also need to understand that like your maintenance should be changing as you're losing weight, right? Your body is smaller. So your basal metabolic rate to an extent, like even at rest to just keep a smaller body alive, we're going to burn fewer calories, right? We're eating less food. So the thermic effect of food decreases, the thermic effect of exercise or calories we burn, like moving our body is going to decrease. And typically like as we're taking in less food, we're going to have less energy as a whole. So thus our non-exercise activity, again, things like pacing, fidgeting, blinking are also going to decrease a bit. So like part of, part of us, <laughs> like if we did the thing right and we actually created a smaller body, which to an extent is going to be our goal in a fat loss phase, like my maintenance should be decreasing. So I also think like, you shouldn't look at it as, okay, I'm not, I have to get back to what my maintenance was at, like, let's say for me, I did just want to maintain 177. And let's say that's something that I could do in a healthy manner, right? Let's say for me, that was me at like 12% body fat. My goal was just to maintain that. If my maintenance was, let's say 3,700 when I was 200 pounds, I shouldn't expect my maintenance to now be 3,700 again, because I'm 23 pounds lighter, right? Like throughout my day to day, everything that I do, I'm going to be burning less. Now, again, like as we take in more food, thermic effective food is going to increase. Once again, I'm going to be burning more calories during digesting the increased food that I'm taking in. I probably have more energy. So again, I'm going to do more pacing, fishing, blinking. So my metabolic rate will increase a bit over time. But yeah, I think that how I've typically seen or thought of like the more traditional form of reverse dieting, I think is typically like people don't even look at it as like, so right now, like I don't consider, let's say, I think you said the average that I'm eating is like 2,100 calories. I wouldn't consider that my current maintenance because I'm still losing like one to one and a half pounds per week. But I think how most, like when we're talking about the reverse dieting in the traditional sense, I think it's like, okay, you just finished this photo shoot prep. Now we're going to add like 50 calories this week, right? And maybe over the next like 12 to 16 weeks, we're going to get you back to your maintenance. And I don't think there's a ton of application for that. Whereas typically how I look at it as with clients, 
we're going to like at the end of the deficit, let's look at your rate of loss over the last couple of weeks, right? So let's just roughly, and these numbers aren't perfect, but let's say, let's say you've lost perfectly one pound per week over the last couple of weeks. So we can assume we're in about a 500 calorie deficit per day or 3,500 calorie deficit per week. So typically, like from my perspective, I'm going to try to get, I don't want to overshoot this, but I'm going to typically try to bump that person to at least 80 to 90% of their estimated maintenance. Then let's look at body measurements. Let's look at how weight is shifting. Let's look at biofeedback. And from there again, we can kind of tiptoe up a bit further because most people also don't want to like, now my, like in my situation where we do want to gain back some body fat, I'm okay if we overshoot maintenance, right? That's part of our goal right now. But if the goal was just to maintain, I would still like, I want to bump you to at least like 80 to 90% of this. And again, most clients, like, especially if this was your first successful fat loss phase, people, this is kind of a scary process for people, right? So within that, I do like, again, want to make sure we're kind of being a bit more cautious, but I still like to try to get people back to maintenance as quickly as possible. And then honestly, how I, how I look at the application of reverse dieting is actually kind of like once we're right around what I estimate to be your maintenance, Again, we know you're going to have more energy, so you're moving more. Your body might be slightly heavier. I don't think this is going to make, make a massive difference, but we'll have like replenished glycogen stores. So maybe that could equate to a couple more calories burned per day. Again, we're, our NEAT levels are going to increase. The thermic effect of food is going to increase. We're probably going to be able to train a little bit harder, potentially maybe increase training volume a bit further which will increase our calorie burn a bit more. So like over time, like once we're at maintenance, our maintenance will slowly be increasing. So typically then like that's really how I look at like when we're looking at that more traditional, like, okay, now maybe we're just adding like 10 to 15 grams of carbs or like 50 to 150 calories per week. Then typically there's something like four to six ish week span where we are like playing that more traditional reverse dieting game. But it's like when we're already at maintenance, because there's not really like once the diet is over, we're not really going to take any benefits from spending this extended period of time in a deficit. Does that make sense? Yeah, but my question would just be maintenance of what? Because you're like, we we won't we'll do this more typical reverse diet when we get them to maintenance. But if you were 177, what mm-hmm. is maintenance? You know what I mean? Is it is it the maintenance the 3700 number that that is, has you at 200 pounds? Because that's the number is going to get you back to 200 pounds. Like if you don't want to get to 200 pounds, then what is this this maintenance that keeps being thrown out there? You know? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, again, I would roughly start by looking at. If we reverse engineer, okay, what was your rate of loss? So again, let's say, let's say you're averaging 1700 calories per day. We were losing about a pound per week. Okay. Roughly we could estimate then your maintenance is probably right around 2200. So let's try to get back to that number. And again, we're going to expect like that first week where we take in more food. Yeah. We're probably going to see most men gain back somewhere between two to four ish pounds of weight due to, again, more gut content, increased glycogen stores, things of that nature. Women are probably going to be closer to about one to three pounds. And then from there, it's essentially looking at, okay, what number keeps us relatively weight stable? And when we're looking at body measurements, again, what number keeps us relatively stable in this regard as well? So I'll look at like maintenance relative to maintaining, like once we've replenished glycogen stores, accounted for like increasing gut content after that first week and things of that nature, then like what number keeps us right around there? Does that answer that question? Yeah, yeah, I think that adds a little bit of clarity to it. So in your specific example, since we keep going back to you, you might be looking at this maintenance number as what will help you maintain 183 or 184, or that would be like the maintenance number that you're thinking about at this point. Right, right. And that's the thing. I mean, 
because your maintenance is gonna i don't think we can ever perfectly nail maintenance that's sure. the other no, thing is you. yeah yeah because it's going to change every day, right? Even yeah. like if you measure things perfectly, we're going to, there are going to be days where we move a little bit less. There's going to be things, days we move a little bit more. But again, I think it's just important to keep in mind, like, I guess so. Yeah. It's in deterrent. Like, is the goal to regain weight? Is the goal to basically maintain your current body composition? But again, understanding like that's not going to be the same as your maintenance calories were when you started the fat loss phase. If your goal is to maintain a lighter body, essentially, than what you had before. Correct, because if you go back to the number that you started at, then you're just going to go right back to that body weight again. Right, right. And you'll probably regain until you get to that body weight. And then once again, that will until that essentially becomes your maintenance. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Striker, jump on in, baby. You're on mute. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. One thing that I what the what your or the client's goal is, is a really, really important part that comes into it. So one thing where I will take an approach that is, was not touched on in in the stronger by science, um, episode is kind of approaches. Let's say someone's, let's say a client's end goal is 180 pounds, right? There's a couple ways that we could approach it. We could, for, for picking very, very simple, straightforward numbers, we could diet them to 170 pounds and then just jump calories back up to an estimated maintenance at that 180, and you will put weight back on quicker. You will also have to fight a little bit longer to go from that like 175 to 170. Those last weeks of dieting, which Jeremiah will probably attest to, are probably some of the hardest because you've just been doing it. Fatigue is higher, highest, more, more or less. Or we could say, hey, we can diet you to 175 and then slowly start putting food back in, it makes the dieting easier. Your rate of loss slows down, but when we're said and done, we still end up at about that 180 pounds. That's an approach that I will commonly take with clients that are not trying to get like super, super lean and their biofeedback is kind of starting to shift a little bit, or they're just kind of getting to the point where they're I personally don't think they have another five hard weeks of dieting in them. I'll give them like, Hey, we'll give you like a 250 calorie reprieve this week. It slows our rate of loss. Our average is still down, but they get, you know, another 75 grams of carbs or something like that. So I think the hard thing with reverse dieting is defining it like explicitly. And I Mm -hmm. think that's where so much of the kind of vagueness comes in or what, the stronger by science episode really touched on was people will kind of use it to like persist lies around like it supercharges your metabolism or it like makes dieting easier in the future or a lot of these things and that's where some of the parts when i listened to it i was like oh i didn't realize people were claiming these sorts of things you know mm-hmm. um i personally had always just used it as a way to one constrain adherence a little bit on the back end of dieting because I know from, you know, the few clients that I have let really open the reins at the end of a diet, people, it's a psychological thing. People have a hard time keeping a cap on it. So like if we've just been feeding you 1700 calories and I'm like, okay, Brian, here you go. You know, your photo shoots over. Here's your 3000. Like, what did you do, Brian? You did not stick to that 3000. No, I went to 5000. Exactly. And 
I think like the, the hard thing with this conversation is we are, we're talking like not necessarily theory, but we're talking textbook application when, you know, uh, measurements in food are, are accurate and these sorts of things. But if I'm being completely honest, like just getting your clients to accurately it track is probably 75% of the game in and of itself. So from what I have personally found is like, if I give them a wide open door, but say, Hey, you got to stop at the end of the door. You know what I mean? Like they don't, or if I frame it up as the hardest part of our diet is now over, but I still frame them in the mindset of we're not done there. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It gets easier from here, but we're not done. They're able to adhere much longer and then not blow that out. And it allows us to just control the overshooting of calories over what their approximate maintenance, you know, would be at our 15% reduced body mass or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just helps us remove or better control the human psychological aspect of it, which is Mm -hmm. a very large part. I love that dude. I actually uh, much appreciate that. The very much appreciate that you displayed that context for us. Cause, um, I, I do think that that makes a lot of sense and it, and it provides uh, a good use case. My question, I guess, is one of the, the things that seems very difficult about reverse dieting is the super small increments that things are increased by and how meticulous someone must be in that case And the psychological impact potentially of having to be so meticulous. And then also in the same question, the difficulty of coaching that when you understand that things like nutrition labels and eyeballs are going to be at least like a 20% variance before you even begin marking anything down. So like, how do you guys kind of make sense of that? Like the meticulous nature of it, the psychological effect, and then the, the variance of uh, the, the inability to actually know the ambiguity of knowing whether it's actually accurate anyways. Yeah. I mean, I think if we look at like what it takes for someone to lose body fat, I don't like, we also have to be pretty meticulous in that process. So from my perspective, I honestly don't think like coaching, no matter what, I think as coaches, we have to assume that like, there is still going to be a decent bit of room for error. Like in reality, what most people think is like, I'm hundred percent on point is realistically more like 80% on point. And we have to be okay with that. Right. So no matter what, there is going to be some room for error, but I think like by the time, so, at least in my experience, by the time someone has successfully completed the fat loss phase, they've come to grips with like, okay, this is how accurately I have to measure my food. This is how accurately I have to track my food. No matter what, there is going to be some room for error. But I also think that it's again, like accepting like this might not be perfect. And something that I like to put out to my clients as well in the post diet period is most people will have like at least a couple times where it's like, man, I kind of went off the rails there. There's typically at least a couple days like that. But as you said, Aaron, like, having some element of structure around that because also like most clients we work with have been able to successfully lose in the past it's maintaining that result that has more or less been the struggle so still if we can like approach it in a more in a more structured manner to where it's not like okay the diet is over here's a thousand plus calories just go do your thing i think that typically like leads to people relapsing or not necessarily relapsing but more or less going back to their old habits where i think like accepting 
hey, this might not be perfect, but we're still going to have a much larger element of structure. And it's probably going to be much better, go much better than the alternative. From my perspective, that's the thing there. I don't expect anyone to like, okay, we're going to be at exactly 10 grams of carbs more. And if you walk like an extra 500 steps, I actually want you to add like two more grams of carbs on top of that or something of that nature. Like, I don't think it's realistic for us to take it to that point. And I still like to give clients like ranges to work with. Like the ranges that we prescribe are still like, we want you to hit these targets plus or minus a hundred. So inherently we're still working with a broad range because I think that's just what's realistic for most people. So I don't think like either of these options is perfect, but I just think it's the better alternative for us to just frame this as something where we do have a little bit more structure going into the post diet period. Does, does that make sense? I don't know. Striker, do you have more to add to that? I mean, I, I, I truly, this, it's hard for me because I truly think, like you said, the post diet period is, is everything. So many people lose the weight. So many people, or sorry, not nearly as many people can maintain it. And again, it comes back to how realistic that might be based on how lean you got. But let's say, let's, let's take the prime example. We are taking a male from like a 24% body fat to like a 14, right? There's no doubt in my mind that people shouldn't be able to maintain that. It just takes some continued structure and explaining, you know, I mean, I mean to, to the people out there listening, like I'm sure Jeremiah will attest to this, like 50% of quality coaching, if not more is just effective communication and, and, and communicating really, really well. And just saying like, Hey, the lifestyle you lived at 24% body fat created you being at 24% body fat. If you want to maintain 14% body fat, that's going to require a different lifestyle and different habits. And I've just found much, much more success in loosely giving them a little bit more range and be like, Hey, you know, we're and and I guess it, it really kind of depends on like how you structure, like reversing. I am very rarely making an increase less than a hundred calories, more generally in like the 200 to 250. Um, I'll go bigger in the beginning. Because I know, like, let's say we diet someone to, I don't know, down to like 1,900 calories. And let's say their maintenance, you know, at the new body weight will be somewhere like 2,700. I'll do like a 250 calorie jump. When you, when you've only, when your carbs have been like at body weight or below, like that's all the room in the world for new food. You know what I mean? Like people's eyes fucking light up when you do that. And then from there, I generally take it from like, four to eight weeks. Some people are going to go a little bit, you know, better with better control. So we'll go faster. Some people are a little bit slower, but it's more food each week. And as long as like, we don't have a crazy shift outside of what we would expect with what Jeremiah alluded to, gut contents, water manipulation, glycogen, those sorts of things, we're still on track there. So I I think it's just, I don't know. It's, it's what I personally do. Um, the, the last thing I this was a note that I, that I had down that I forgot to bring up, but Jeremiah, I'm curious your, your thoughts on this too. One thing that I find common with not all clients, but maybe about a third, maybe 40%. It's very, very common myself is at the end of dieting phases for digestive quality to start to tank. So if, if digestion starts getting a little iffy, we start getting a little bit more gassy as we add food back in. If I'm just like, here you go, an extra 1200 calories it's generally not going to go well because digestive quality has diminished. And that can be 
for you know various reasons. As you provide your body a much smaller amount of food for a period of time, it adapts. We start producing less hydrochloric acid. We might start to downregulate enzymes and stuff like that. And when you just ramp it all back, your digestion is going to be a mess. So that's another reason why I do prefer to take it slower is because it's more than just numbers on paper. There are multiple kind of downstream impacts of, hey, here's a thousand more calories today sort of thing. So the... um the thing I like about what you said, Aaron, is the the big jumps in calories, the 200 to 250 type thing, because I feel like that goes against a little bit like that. That what that does is it emulates more of the way that people lose weight. Like you usually will make adjustments as you go. Like, OK, you know, the scale is kind of stuck. OK, we'll drop another 200, 250 calories, whatever it is. Those are, are big enough adjustments to actually be able to feel the difference and um feel like you're not making an error in, in your calculations, right? So that was kind of the point I was getting at before with the meticulous nature is that in reverse dieting, you often see these prescriptions that are like, let's increase 10 grams of carbs a day or, you know, whatever that comes out to that's 70 a week. That's kind of ridiculous. So maybe it's like 20 grams every third day or something along those lines, you know, but there's such small numbers that it becomes almost impossible for somebody to actually implement those without just worrying that maybe there's just error in the food they're eating or the calculations or any of these other variables. So it, it like, is that, is that kind of commonly how you guys have thought of or heard of reverse dieting as well? Or is, is this just unique to me? The thing that's hard there is, is even through me listening to the stronger by science episode, a lot of it was even kind of new to me where I was like, Oh, I didn't realize like, like one of the, one of the things here, I have the notes down, like reverse dieting supercharges your metabolic rate. Like I didn't know that people were out there like preaching that. So I think like what you said, Brian, yeah, with, with, it's hard, right? It's hard. Tracking your caloric intake is hard to be really, really accurate, especially as variety increases and your control over directly, um, preparing your foods Mm -hmm. goes down. And I think if you're like, Hey, here's five carbs this week. I mean, that's well within a margin of error. Um, Yeah. I mean, we don't diet that way. No one's like, Hey, every day this week, I want you to eat five less carbs than the day before. Like, could you imagine? Yeah. yeah. The the one time I I will say where I do start to slowly adjust and I believe Jeremiah alluded to this, but uh, I'll have you chime in. So I don't want to put words in your mouth is when we are like, Hey, I think we're really close now. And I don't want to overshoot by giving you an extra, like, you know, 250 calories. If we're maybe realistically 20 under, and then, you know, you go whatever, 230 over for seven days. And now we're up, you know, to like a, an eighth of a pound or something like, or eight tenths of a pound or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think like the smallest adjustment I'll typically make would probably be like 50 calories. And even then understanding it's not perfect. I, it sounds like you two might be in slightly different corners of Instagram than I am. So I just want to speak to one more thing here, because I think that a lot of what they're addressing is there are a lot of people out there talking about, hey, you are an individual right now. You're only eating like a thousand to twelve hundred calories and you can't lose weight. So people are more I think what they're addressing here is this idea that so you need to reverse diet 
and we're going to supercharge your metabolism. And then when you get into the process of trying to lose body fat, you're going to be able to lose on like 1800 calories. So I think more what they're addressing is like people framing it as this is what you need to do to successfully diet in the future, rather than like you've already gone through a successful fat loss phase and then you need to diet. So like you see a lot of like, I'm the metabolism reboot coach or something of that nature. Right. So, I mean, like this is a relatively common when we can probably frame this within our coaching service as like a reverse diet if we wanted to as well. And like, this is the reverse diet transformation where like this woman couldn't lose on 1200 calories before. And now we got her shredded on 1700 calories or something of that nature, but it's not, it's not actually the case. So to like speak that a little bit more, like it's extremely common for a new client to start and they'll report, Hey, I'm only eating 1200 calories and or, or, uh, Aaron, I know you said like your client who was like 6'3", 220 and said his maintenance was like 2,400. Whereas typically what's going on there is oftentimes it is like five days of the week. This individual is really under eating. They're only eating like 1,000 to 1,200 calories. But then it's typically either, hey, in the evenings or over the weekends, there are very large influxes of calories coming in. This is that is enough to offset any deficit that they created throughout the week. So they're still like at very least at maintenance. And here I think it's important to understand like there is, so like this is a new situation. Like when we'll start a lot of clients in a situation like this in something like somewhat similar to a reverse diet, and we could very easily frame it as again, like if we wanted to lie to people, I guess like, Hey, we, you, this person was eating 1200. Now they're eating 900 and losing. But I think it's important to understand like there's a difference here between under eating and under fueling, right? Where a lot of times these individuals are somewhat they're not under eating, but they are somewhat under fueling. So for example, like in a situation like this, typically what we'll do is first and foremost, we want to look at removing those scenarios where they're overeating, right? So it's oftentimes it's like, Hey, if we just bring your calories up more throughout the week, maybe like at night, you're not going to be as likely to weigh overdo it, or you're not going to weigh overdo it on the weekends, right? So we're eating more five days out of the week. So you don't constantly feel like you're starving anymore. We're also going to like focus further on your micronutrient intake, right? So because of that, and again, I mean, maybe we will see, this isn't going to like be a crazy shift. Maybe we will see like, if we're getting into more of your B vitamins, selenium, zinc, things of that nature, maybe we are going to better support your thyroid. And yeah, maybe we would see like a slight upregulation in metabolism because of that. We're going to get you eating and typically like individuals like this as well are under eating protein and carbs and typically overeating fats, even if they are healthier fats. So because of that, and again, we'll know like we'll have a slightly higher thermic effect with protein and carbs, but as a whole, and oftentimes as well, like we're sh- and I, I, I'm just kind of rambling here, but I want you, like to, for the listener to understand, oftentimes we will see, like, if we go through eight to 12 weeks of this process, we typically will see like this person has achieved a pretty impressive recall, Right. So it can make it seem like, wow, that reverse diet was crazy. We increased calories the entire time. And I really saw these solid shifts in body composition. But really within that, again, we're getting this person eating more protein and carbs. And typically the same individual is also often like going into their training sessions fasted. They're normally training super early in the morning, training fasted and not eating until like noon. So then it's okay if we're having you better fueled. Let's say we're going to eat some carbs and some protein protein before you train. We're going to have a post-workout meal. So you're better recovering. Okay. We probably are going to build more muscle alongside that. We're shifting the training stimulus. So this is also very common, like someone coming from an orange theory background or even CrossFit. And as you guys are very aware of, like when we transition that stimulus to a hypertrophy stimulus, 
we have them actually eating before their training and a better optimizing recovery, the person can also typically build some muscle. We're also focusing on, hey, can we increase your steps over time? And we're getting them tracking accurately. Typically, like in a situation like that, and we're also focusing on satiety, right? We're also focusing on food quality. So you're eating more fibrous carbs and again, more protein and things of that nature. So typically, like when all those things add up, that person is actually across the week eating less calories, but five days of the week, because again, they're eating more filling foods. Um, and we actually have them eating more five days of the week. We're just getting rid of these dramatic swings in calorie intake. It'll across the course of the week typically feel like they're eating more. And also typically we're getting them tracking a lot more accurately than they were previously. So like for a lot of people, 99% of the time when someone starts, like the number someone gives you as I'm eating, Aaron, I'm sure you can speak to this as well. Like Everyone comes in, hey, I'm eating only like this very low amount of calories and I don't understand why I can't lose. And then when it's like we dig into tracking accuracy and things of that nature, it's like, okay, let's add another 500, 700 calories on top of that intake. Right. So then it's typically like the person is actually eating less. It is all if they lost body fat, it's always they're actually eating less than they were before because they're tracking accurately. It's like what I thought was 1200 calories is actually 1700 to 1800 calories. Right. So because of that, it can look like, and again, like these things, like you've added more muscle, you're better fueled. You're not fucking starving throughout the entire week because we shifted all these things in your food composition and your mealtime and things of that nature. We will see like, yeah, you got leaner, you built muscle. We achieved some pretty solid recomp and it does look like you were eating more than you were before. But again, that's largely an illusion. And it's a, we can definitely market it as like, if we wanted to, we could market it as like, holy shit, look how good I am at reverse dieting. And here's why everyone should work with me. But it's not actually that that person is necessarily eating more than they were before. But I really think that's like with this, it's reverse dieting, at least in the corner of like Instagram that I'm on is often framed as like, this is a thing you need to do to supercharge your metabolism. And again, I think it's not necessarily the pro- like that people are under eating. That's the problem. It's more so you're under fueling. Um, but I think that is an important distinction. Does that make sense? Yeah, that was incredibly well said. And I think if if you're like a listener to this, right, and then maybe this is a little bit new to you, like everything that Jeremiah just outlined there, I would say is probably the most profound takeaway that you will get from the podcast. So it's something that's very, very, it's a very real situation. People grossly underestimate their intake to no like kind of real fault of their own. But it's people are just, they're trying with the skills and tools that they have. They're super fucking hungry. They can hold it together throughout the week. And then in in social outings, blah, 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 whatever, grossly over consume on the weekend. And they're really just like, they're shooting themselves in the foot, right? Because they don't stand a, a fighting chance. But by going through those things that you outlined, giving them more food. The interesting thing I always really like around the terminology more is you could, how are we quantifying more volume or calories, right? Because like, I'll play the volume game all day. And when like, that's one of the things when a client will like, we'll, we'll start, I'm at like 2,400 calories. And, and then when I get the next check and he's like, man, I'm really, really hungry. I'm like, if you're at 24 to 2,500 calories and you're telling me you're hungry, I'll show you someone who has poor food selection. <laughs> like, and so I, I think with that, it's, you have to stand a fighting chance of, Hey, fueling yourself, right? Not crushing yourself with fasted, high intensity workouts. And this is where you can eat more, right? More 
appropriate, you know, distribution more, um, accurately, you know, controlled more nutrient density. You, you briefly touched on things of thyroid in that nature. And that one's real. That's another, that's another one we didn't really touch on where reverse dieting can actually a version of reverse dieting is probably better as opposed to just being like, well, here's maintenance fucking deal with the fat gain that comes with it. Like, sorry, sort of thing. But, uh, that's a tangent, but I think like that, what you outlined there is really, 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 really well said. Yeah. And then, I mean, in that situation, typically what we will see, because also like if this person is starting, let's say they, they think their intake is 1200 calories per day, just psychologically, they're not, if I hit you with, okay, we're going to start at 1800 calories or 2000 because I don't think you're tracking accurately. They're not going to be able to handle that. But even then, as you said, typically we'll be, okay, let's start at just 1500, but it's going to be 1500 every day of the week. Then it typically will be, okay, next week we add another hundred, then another 50, then another 50. So it very much will appear like reverse dieting, but again, it's more so those factors than is actually the reverse diet. Psychological game is huge. Brian, Absolutely. did you have something to say? Yeah, I I definitely think that we hang out in a different corner of Instagram than Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm very surprised you guys haven't seen this. It's everywhere. Well, I, I have. I mean, I've seen. So I've seen some of. I've seen bits and pieces of all the illusions that Trexler laid out on Stronger by Science. Um, but I will say that something I really struggle to relate to is this idea of somebody coming to you and saying, I am eating 1200 calories a day and not losing weight when they're blatantly aware that they're going off the rails on the weekends or in the PM or whatever the time that they're going off the rails is like it just, I, I, I just kind of don't, I, I, maybe I'm callous. I can't empathize with this. I, I feel like this person is lying to themselves and they're kind of lying to you and they're lying to the internet to say, I can't lose weight on 1200 calories when they're blatantly, obviously eating 1200 times five plus 3,600 times two. And, um, and I don't know, that just like, it, it kind of baffles my mind that that would even be something that people do, you know, I think it's incredibly it's, common. I think Brian, what it is, is like, you've, you're just so deep in this world and you have been for so long, you know, even with like the gym and everything that's, I think that's what it is. Cause it even happens to me sometimes, but like, you don't know where people's backgrounds are, you know, and, and through working with a lot of clients, like you'd be amazed at what you see. And then people just, they just don't know yet. Yeah, but even if I was just this person who had no re- no knowledge of calories and I came to a coach and I'd be like, hey, look, I'm fucking starving during the week. But you know what I do on the weekends? I eat a ton of food. Like that would be the way I would say this to a coach, not I eat nothing. I eat 1200 calories every day and I can't lose weight. Like it just seems like blatant lying, you know? And I don't think that's at all the intention. I truly it's never like. I don't think it's anyone trying to lie. It's much more so. I think like, especially if you've never tracked, it's almost like you've never looked at the price tags when you go shopping before. Right. So it's just like, oh, or like you never check your credit card statement. Like I I really, I genuinely think it's much more so like education. People don't understand like how many calories are in the olive oil that you put in the pan when you cook, for example, or like that peanut butter isn't a great protein source. Right. So it's like, um, Hey, this is mostly protein. I'm just going to, or even like the difference between like what you estimate to be two tablespoons of peanut butter versus if we actually measure that shit out, which is such a sad thing. Or even like forgetting about that, like 
fourth and fifth glass of wine you had i i genuinely don't i don't think it's like people <laughs> to be a malicious or whatever right it's not yeah, it's, yeah. it's just people need education right yeah but i mean even if it's something as like hey i'm hungry a lot of the days a week and then i'm not hungry on the weekend like even that would be helpful information for a coach to have versus like yeah i'm starving all the time but that's part of why coaches are needed as well. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, I'm just very removed from that. So, so I guess like in that sense, you know, uh, you guys are doing a a great service over there. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you guys want to uh, touch on on this one? I think we've covered the my kind of big notes, um, but I want to make sure that anything from Brian and Jeremiah we've we've covered adeptly. Yeah, I'm good, man. I uh, I asked all my questions of you guys, and uh, I feel like the listeners should have a, a decent clarification on kind of our thoughts on reverse dieting and then application of how to get out of a deficit um, based on where you are at the beginning of your kind of increase of calories. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of to, to let's try and wrap this up a little bit. The leaner you get, if you are lean to the point where it's just not sustainable and you, I mean, for you, for us to say this, I, I, I may over speak here a little bit, but like, you're going to have very visible abs. You're, you're, you're not, you're going to be lean, lean. You're probably going to do, I shouldn't even say probably you're going to do much better with a very large increase to an, a point that's going to put on some body fat again. Yes. But get you to a point where biofeedback is now better. Um, maybe you have an interest in having sex again is a really, really good part of biofeedback. Maybe some morning wood, those sorts of things. If you are someone who's maybe only dieting to like a 15%, maybe you just want to get your, to go from gut to no gut. You may not need a huge jump up because you aren't really in a hormonal, uh, uh, negatively adapted position yet. Um, the last thing that I, I, do think is that we didn't really touch on enough is the psychological aspect, right? The, Jeremiah, you alluded to it a little bit around the client who thinks they are eating a thousand calories, even though it's technically, I'm using air quotes here for the people listening, like objectively false to say, okay, let's go, let's get you to like 1400 calories first. Like, even though that's not textbook the way to do it. If you take that client who thinks they're eating a thousand calories and you say, here we go, week one, 2,400 calories, like they're going to have a fucking meltdown. It's the same thing. Like the, for some reason, more food just fucks with people's minds the same way that starting a diet process will. Sometimes I'll have a client who's literally perfectly adherent. We're doing fantastic, hitting their number seven out of seven days. Week one of the diet, I take them from like 2,800 calories to like a 2,550 and the fucking wheels fall off. I'm like, bro, it's 250 calories or whatever, 350 calories. Like what happened? So the psychology aspect is is quite large and I, and I definitely don't want to us to just skip over it because psychology influences physiology in the decisions that we make and it is important to at least consider yeah, I think that's a very important caveat as well. And I mean, we work with a lot of clients too who have been like in a quote unquote dieting mindset for a very long period of time. But again, are in that cycle of like, and then I like completely fall off the wheels or like I have this uncontrollable snacking. And a lot of times, again, it is like we again. So 
like we do use this like sim reverse sighting esque process at the start of working with someone very frequently, but a lot of times it is like, Hey, we have to push you. We have to get you in a good psychological place, like a healthier relationship with food. We have to get you okay with consistently focused on eating more food. We have to get you like away from only eating 50 grams of protein to like, let's try to get close to one gram per pound of body weight. And we have to improve all these things before we can actually push you in a position where it's healthy for you psychologically to diet. And then alongside that, like you can actually have the body composition you want at the end of the diet. So like, but we don't necessarily frame it as a reverse diet. So I do think there's like application to something similar to this, but it's not because it supercharges your metabolism and your metabolism is going to be crazy quick and diet eating is just going to be effortless for you going forward. Very well said. Cool. Cool. So I guess to wrap this thing up, Jeremiah, can you um, drop your plugs in here? Where can people find you? Where can people reach out for coaching if they're interested? All of that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, once again, I am super appreciative for the two of you having me on here. It is always great to chat with you guys. Um, you can check out our podcast is Living Lean. You can follow me on Instagram at Jeremiah Bear. Um, our coaching company is Elevated Coaching Systems. You can go there, elevatedcoachingsystems.com. Um, we have tons of blogs there, super in-depth around losing fat, building muscle, and our coaching application is there as well. Awesome. So again, thank you for joining us from myself, Mr. Brian Borstein and Jeremiah Bear. Guys, thank you for listening. We will talk to you. Well, Brian and I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Eat, Train, Prosper. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe or share us with your friends. You can find more from Aaron at strakernutritionco.com and more from Brian at evolvedtrainingsystems.com. Talk to you guys next time.